0: Did you know we have a scaling culture community on LinkedIn where you can learn from others and share your own experiences with building incredible workplace cultures. In fact, most of our guests are members of the community. To join the community, simply use the link in the show description. It is the absolute best way to keep connected with everything scaling culture. welcome to the scaling culture podcast where we sit down with thought leaders who share their experiences building incredible workplace cultures on today's episode we sit with kim hunt kim's an entrepreneur and founder of we teach me an online marketplace for classes and workshops he also serves on the board of the entrepreneurs organization a global not-for-profit organization that engages leading entrepreneurs to learn and grow Kim aims to make a lasting, positive contribution by listening, learning, and helping others to reach out and inspire. On today's episode, Kim shows us some tools we can use to build better relationships and develop a coaching mindset.
1: Welcome, Kim Hung, to Scaling Culture Podcast.
2: I am so pumped. Thank you for having me here. It's... (laughs) I'm so rude. I'm interrupting yeah. you already. This is you know my what? show. That,
1: yeah, I know. I knew this was going to happen. We were going to be fighting for airspace, and, and I'm okay with that, and I'm going to lose. I know I'm going to lose. You know, <laughs> seriously, You know, when we started this show, you were one guy on my mind, one individual that I was like, oh, my God, he has some great messaging, <clears throat> and so I'm just stoked to have you on. And I wanted to, to give everyone some context of how we know each other. Um, Kim and I know each other through uh, EO, Entrepreneur's Organization, and we met through EMP, Entrepreneur Master Program. And through there, that's a three-year program in conjunction with MIT. It's an unbelievable program. Would you, would you agree, Kim? Life-changing. Life-changing. I, I would agree. And, and yeah, part of that life-changing, me. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, my life changed when I met you uh, for the better. Your life changed for the worse when you met me. So, our paths crossed, and so you know, and through there, we joined a form group, which is a peer to peer group of entrepreneurs we joined we 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 came together in this international forum, and so Kim and I have had an incredible relationship and uh, been talking usually we' we're, we're, we're in our meetings every four months and I want to start off, Kim, with one thing that i you know I just always go back to, when I tell a story about you, the one thing that always stands out was a message you said one time during one of our meetings. And it was basically that as human beings, none of us are naturally good people. That we, we literally, purposely have to make decisions even at micro levels to be good people. You have to continue to decide to be a good person. That just hit home for me, you know, because it's work to be a good person. And, you know, one of the things we're going to talk was building relationships and that this stuff just isn't a natural process. That's what that's what I heard when you said that, that you have to work at it. Even if if you are going to hold a door for someone at a grocery store, you consciously make a decision to do that. No one naturally just holds the door.
2: Kim, mm, that's that's a I really interesting you. insight. Do you remember it's, saying this? It's funny this? hearing it back. I, I do remember saying something, the words might have changed a little bit. Um, Ron, what really I'm curious about is how, when you hear that, why did it jump out at you, and what were your key insights from that?
1: That's a great question. For me, it meant that two, two things really jumped out one, that it's okay to have a bad day, you know, like weirdly enough, it's okay that. that because you can decide to change your micro behavior. You can decide to change everything you do on a daily basis, but you have to make that decision. It's, it's up to me to be a good person and to make those decisions. And so it's, it's in my control. I'm just not born a good person or a non-good person. Like, like, so that was, and, and two, it, it's work. You have to continue to do it. Those were the two things that, that jumped out at me. Did I get the message right? What, maybe this is all wrong. Was it drink two glasses of wine and you'll be happy?
2: Well, <laughs> uh, firstly, in terms of being happy, I have this theory, run that uh, if everyone ate pasta every day, uh, the world would be a much happier place. So wine Bam. and pasta, key takeout. Bam, that's the first key takeout and first learning for everyone here. But the fir- in terms of what you shared, uh, what I do believe is that, number one, if you're going to do something, it should always be done with intention. Uh, right. A lot of people, I believe they go through their lives and they, things happen by accident or things happen by default or because the environment engineers a certain type of behavior or characteristic. But I think that if something is important to you, then it's important to approach it with intention and to sit back and really examine what is the type of behavior that I want to exhibit because that behavior becomes your character and that character becomes your destiny. Mm -hmm. So, so important.
1: And so I'm going to jump into Kim. And by the way, Kim is beaming in from Australia right now. What time is it there, Kim?
2: 9.20 in the morning. So, Ron, you got me early out of bed today. Thank you.
1: Well, you know, (laughs) because Kim, and I want to be transparent, usually sleeps in until about 1 (laughs) p.m.
2: I think we need to be careful about what we reveal to the world today. True, true. I'm sorry.
1: I'm sorry. I went too deep. So, so uh, look, thanks for getting up to do this. And I want to dive into, I want to keep going on this, converse, this path, Kim, because you are someone who I know really values relationships. And I know that anyone who's close to you is close to you. I, I don't even think you have acquaintances. Maybe I'm wrong. I think you have people that are close to you or just they're not even in your life. Start there. I want to talk about that. Is that true statement? And and if so, why? And then I want to move to some some business stuff.
2: It's it's an absolutely true statement. Uh, before we jump on this, Ron, can we backtrack to the first statement that we are talking about before in terms of intention? Um, so, up. In, in my true radio voice, you can do whatever <laughs> you want. Perfect. Uh, we talked about intention before, but I also want to talk about something you highlighted Uh, you said the words hard work. And I want to speak to this a little bit more just because through the last 90 days, as I've talked to more and more people all around the world. One thing that I am seeing uh, is that people are stressed and people are overwhelmed. And uh, sometimes that inspires behavior that people aren't proud of. And I think this high bar that we set for ourselves to achieve or exhibit a certain behavior every single day, to be a good family member every single day, to be a good friend every single day, to be a good leader in our own businesses every single day. It creates this atmosphere of pressure. And the way I look at it is I don't think I need to be a good leader every single day. I don't need to be a good brother or a good son or a good family member every single day. But what's important is that I am a good whatever it is over time. And that's a really important distinction to make because we, we place so, such high expectations on ourselves that hmm. rather than doing it every every second, every minute, every hour of the day, over time, I think creates a bit of space and freedom for us to be human as well. Hmm. And I think that's a really important mm-hmm. message to get across.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. And so, yeah. You know, one of the key things that jumped out at me there was we beat ourselves up. We put ourselves in such high standard. And so there's got to be this cycle. Boom. I let myself down and now I'm in the uh, I'm in the you know, I'm in the dumps about it versus look, I'm a good person. I do this thing really well. I'm a good leader. I'm a good father. I'm a good partner over time. And so what is the suggestion there to, to ease off on ourselves? What, what what is the message there?
2: I think it's to be kind to ourselves as well. Right. Right.
1: Yeah. Beautiful. Um, so let's go to the corporate setting, Kim. When you first meet someone in the organizations you're involved with, and actually just, just quickly um, talk about really quickly, what are you doing day to day? What businesses are you involved in? What business lines? And then, and then let's dive into um, relationships.
2: Absolutely. Uh, 10. Oh. Seven or eight years ago, I started a technology company, a startup. We're essentially a marketplace for workshops and classes. Think of it as cooking classes, pottery classes, coffee-making classes, any type of classes you can imagine, face-to-face real-life classes. And that was really an exercise for me to learn how to start and scale a technology company, learned many, many great lessons. About one to two years ago, I stepped out operationally from that company and the original business partner took over as CEO and is running the company now. And now I spend a lot of my time running a family office. And a lot of that entails being very strong with relationships, uh, being able to read the room, being able to manage people's emotions and make sure everyone behaves and is nice and respectful to each other. Uh, That's really what I do now on the day-to-day. And one learning I have had surrounding that is I did a personality assessment test run in March last year. And that was called the Clifton's Strength Finders test. Uh, the, yeah, there are that. so many tests available. There's 16personalities.com, available online for free. Wonderful, wonderful tests. Uh, a lot of people talk about disk, a lot of people talk about um, uh, was it the Myers-Briggs test? Yeah. Um, the content wasn't too dissimilar to all those tests, but what made that test so impactful and powerful for me was that I had someone facilitate interpreting the results with me in person. And then that same person showed me how to apply those results into my life. And that was where the power in that test was. And what I learned from that test is that my two key strengths are strategy and people. Strategy and people. So how that's impacted my life is that now I spend two or three hours a day purely on strategic thoughts. So I'll go on walks with people I'll schedule coffees and lunches with mentors or people who I deeply admire and respect. I'll go to conferences, often they're conferences in the opposite of the industries just to see what they're doing uh, what innovations are happening over there or reading a book, for example, or just sitting and thinking. And then the rest of my time is spent with people uh, building relationships with people, uh, having conversations of substance with people, uh, so connecting with people.
1: I want to go back there for a second to, so, so- you say I spend time building relationships. Start start from scratch. I I, I you know you come into one of these companies, uh, mm. whether whether it was we teach me family office business, which I know you have multiple lines, and I'm an employee. And you're curious, you want to meet me. What is that? What is the starting point of building a relationship with someone that you see for the first time, and you want to build? you, you want to to uh, strike a conversation and get to know them, build a bond. What's that look like?
2: There's this beautiful quote, which I love, and the quote says, we have two ears and one mouth, and we should use those body parts in the proportion that they're given to us. In a meeting, what I have noticed, Ron, is when I meet people, people are often more willing to talk and talk and talk and talk about themselves and and to just go on and on and on and on. Uh, whereas I find that, particularly in a sales setting, the more I don't talk and the more I just listen, that's when the relationship builds. So, in the practice, practicing practical sense, sorry, in the practical sense, when I'm with someone that first meeting, I'll often just leave the meetings only uttering five words: my name, great to meet you, tell me about yourself.
1: Now, no, but Kim. You know, look, you're a very warm person. You have a kind energy. I, I literally describe you as the Buddha, and I don't I've never met the Buddha, <laughs> I don't know what that looks like, but I do, and I think that's a compliment because I I think he's a fabulous person. And what what if that person is guarded and they're just not opening up? Do you have you have strategies versus just listening, and they're not talking? Like this must have happened to you before.
2: Absolutely. There have been times when I've met someone and it's stonewalled or they're super cold or they're super guarded. And it's difficult to to get that immediate connection that I seek when I talk to people and when I meet people. However, Ron, I find that no one is infallible. Vulnerability isn't quite the correct word, but there is always a gap and there's always an opening. The door's always left slightly. A jar.
1: And, where, where, and how do you find that? How do you know when it that? Oh, boom! There's a door. It's ready to go. What? What's? What is? Is there a sign? What do you? You know? How do you apply that?
2: You feel it. I I don't know about you, Ron, but when I, I talk to someone and they're guarded and there are walls, I feel the the coldness and I feel the lack of energy there. But when when I have a conversation with someone and I touch on. uh, a point which I know is important to that person. There's a shift in energy. And I don't want to make this this conversation esoteric. I want to make it practical for people. But in our lives, as we go through our lives and we have experiences and we go through trauma or we go through extreme moments of joy, there are certain things that happen which warm us up and open us up and changes, gives us changes in our facial expressions and how we look and how we talk. And it makes people light up. our job in terms of building deep and meaningful relationships with people is to find out what are those topics and what are those subjects and what are those memories that create this change in people. And I'm sure Ron that you've had experiences when you talk to someone and you touch on something that's important to them, they change and they light up and there's that sparkle in their eye.
1: Yeah. So you're, you're, you're not just listening, you're watching.
2: Of course. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think another term for that is active listening
1: and're mm-hmm. uh,
2: mm-hmm. not we're not listening for the sake of listening we're listening with intent we're listening with intention
1: well it's interesting i and look i, I just got through you know uh the building relationships chapter in the book that you know I'm doing scaling culture, and I kind of talk about active listening and look, I'm no expert, but my understanding was that active listing was about me saying, Kim, if I heard you correctly, um, I'd, you know, that type of thing. So repeating you know, what you heard to whom you're speaking to. And, and then I, I lately been listening to a lot of Chris Voss on his masterclass and read the book. And he kind of says, look, the word I is, is about you and it it creates a gap. And, you know, that 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 his strategies on mirroring and labeling he thinks are much stronger. And, and I've played around with that. And I find that does work. Do you, um, what are your thoughts on that? Saying like, do you use that technique of, Hey Kim, if I heard you correctly, or is that not authentic? And it's just, it, it, it's too, um, you know, too corporate or, or too, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, um,
2: manufactured. Yes. I think these tools are fantastic mirroring, uh, <laughs> that's my list. out mirroring mirror, 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 oh God, that's that,
1: mirroring and, and labeling, mirroring. right?
2: Labeling with paraphrasing the question. These are really good tactical tools that people can use. And I've used this in the past. However, I think it's important to look beyond that and to look a bit deeper. And when I say look beyond that and look a bit deeper, I think the intent at why we use these tools
1: right.
2: is 80% of the equation. And for me, I found that when I first read about those tools and started looking and observing people using them, uh, there was a bit of a disconnect for me because it felt a bit too mechanical, a bit too manufactured. And right, so I right. looked at how I, how can I translate these tools into my life so that when I use them, they feel natural to me. Right. And for me, what, made the difference was the intent piece to it. And for me, when I listen to people, when I listen to you, and when I talk to people, talk to people that I want to have a relationship with, the intent for me is to come from a place of service. And when I say a place of service, what I mean is I'm listening to understand and to learn What's important to you and why do you light up when you talk about this person? What are your fears? What are your life goals? Uh, What are you scared of? Uh, What brings you joy? And yes, go on.
1: I'm just going to say just quickly. So taking that perspective is going to, I don't want to say force you, but naturally take you down the path of really asking really strong questions about their feelings about something, you know, um, about the history behind it, you know, digging further.
2: You got it. It's, it's asking the questions that are two layers deep, three layers deep, four layers deep. And I do find that most people don't go beyond the first or second layer. Right. And so right. for me personally, when someone pushes and goes to the third layer or the four layer, that person has my attention because I know that they're actually listening and I get the sense that they care enough to dig a bit deeper. And for for me, the highest compliment I believe that I can give to someone or someone can give to me is to give them my time or me to give them my time and to say, you know what? You matter. You matter. And I'm going to spend the next how much, how many minutes or how many hours we have together to learn about you and to understand you because what you're scared of and what, you're, what gives you joy and what you're worried about, what keeps up at night is important. And I want to be there for you as you express these things. And I do find Ron. An interesting thing I have learned through my life so far is that the more I give, the more I tend to receive in return.
1: Right, and you know, but Kim, there's a bit of a special skill. Y- you tend to be able to really focus, and I've watched you, you know, even in uh, in a group setting, speak to someone, and and you are one hundred percent focused on them. You're not distracted uh, by things around you you you, the the person knows that it it seems like your intention is to absolutely connect with them um listen to them and really uh be responsive to what they say how do you do that what are you saying internally in your head like focus 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 or what's going on how do you that? well seriously because i'm just uh, in my head i'm like ron you're talking to kim there's Daryl, there's Sarah. Don't, don't look at them. Don't pay attention to them. You know, what are you, how, how do you get through that so smoothly and so naturally?
2: Uh, That's an interesting question. I've never really considered that before. And it surprises me that uh, when, as we're discussing this topic that you tell me there are distractions in your mind, Uh, can you just talk a bit more through that so I can understand a bit more?
1: Well, look, I have ADHD. And so for me, Mm It's very tough, especially when I'm, when I'm in a group setting. So, you know, whether that's at EMP at the end of the day and everyone's having a glass of wine, I'm trying to connect with someone and then there's people around you and, and, and I'm trying to not be rude, but focus in on whoever I'm talking to and I'm self-talking. So I'm interrupting, I'm interrupting them in my own head. I'm literally like, okay, Kim's talking, Ron. Just focus on what he's saying. I'm saying these things, which, which is interruptive. I, I'm not paying as close attention as I should be. Mm. I might fake it with my body language sometimes, but it's a real struggle for me.
2: That is super interesting. Uh, what would be an interesting exercise, Ron, is to create a video where you're giving examples of this inner voice. <laughs> That's interrupting <laughs> during a conversation. I would be very keen to see something like that. Uh, for me, I find that that is a great litmus test in terms of how invested am I in this person and this conversation based on my inner interruptions. I think it's a word that you used before or the distractions. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that helps me a lot is to make sure that I find something about the person I'm talking with that makes me intensely curious about that person. And I don't know if this is a tool that tool that can be universally applied like, like a one size fits all tool um, or whether this is just the, the, the DNA that I am made up with, but I find people infinitely interesting. I find your story run incredibly interesting, um, your struggles and your learnings and what you've been through and where you want to take your life. I could listen all day to it. And I find that the key for me to feel connected to someone and to sit all day and just listen is to find that subject matter about that person that pricks up my ears and makes me want to learn as much as I can. And if you put it through, through a, a selfish lens or pective, if you will, Uh, I learn a lot through understanding that person, hearing them share their story. And for you, it's about your history, for example. For some of our friends that we know, it could be about how they view life and how that impacts on them. For another person, it could be about the trauma that they've gone through and uh, the learnings that they've had from that. There is always something I believe anyway, that right. there is always right. something about a person that can make you intensely curious about that person. And if we look at wine, I know you were drinking wine at the start. I still am. I went to, <laughs> so, I went to a wine appreciation class and the, the, the teacher asked me, Kim, what wine do you like? And I said to him, I, Honestly, I don't really like wine. And he looked at me with these uh, furious eyes, and his eye—the whites of his eyes opened up. And he said, "Kim, it's not that you don't like wine. It's that you just haven't met the white wine. You haven't met the white right wine yet.
1: And, <laughs> haven't uh, met them, I like know, the, the, the white wine.
2: <laughs> the white <laughs> <Vegas. laughs> And I, I look at—I think about that with people. If if I am in a conversation with someone and I feel like I'm not engaged, I just haven't found the right topic or the right subject that inspires right. this it. curiosity.
1: It's funny, as you were saying that I was visualizing like me, you know, cause I, I totally connect with that. And I, I was visualizing me or you in a conversation, you especially. And like, I was, I was visualizing that happening and you talking to someone not enjoying, not connecting with these pieces, kind of like a, an episode of Jeopardy. Next, next question, next question. Then boom, ah, I got it. Let's go deep.
2: Yeah. You got it. You got it. Absolutely. <laughs> it's interesting, actually. The, the people that i struggle with finding a connection with or finding a topic that makes me curious are usually the people who are guarded and people who, who don't allow a piece of themselves to be vulnerable. But right. a little pro tip here, Ron. Uh, I have found without question that everyone loves talking about their children. (laughs) I don't know what it is, but everyone. And if people don't have children, then they'll talk about their dogs and their cats.
1: Yeah, 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 you're right, yeah. Um, So I want to talk about something uh, that most people have challenges with. We've all disappointed. We've all breached trust at some point. I don't know if you listened to our episode with Frances Frances Frey where Mm. she said, you know, that, that everyone has this trust wobble where essentially if you've broke trust or if someone, you know, if, if someone didn't trust you on the other side, it was through one of three reasons. Either logic, you logically didn't make sense to them and your, your logic didn't work out. You were not authentic or you weren't empathetic. Mm. And it was really interesting when she said that. She said, if, if you couldn't gain trust, you need to go back to one of those three and figure out where it fell off. I'm curious what you think of that, and then I have a follow up question. What are your thoughts on that?
2: Firstly, I, I love Francis. I love just uh, that framework is brilliant. Uh, big fan of that framework. In terms of trust, is your question more centered around what do I do when someone breaches my trust? Well, yeah, let,
1: let's go there. Yes, let's. Yeah. So, so, well, I want to mm. go both sides. I, I want to okay. know. Fine. If someone breaches your trust, but but actually, I'm I'm actually more interested if you have broken trust, how do you get it back?
2: Mm. Okay. That's a very good question. In terms of if someone's breached my trust, I look not at the event. I look at the intent. Ooh, I like that. So I don't look at the events, but I look at the intent. So if, if Ron breaks my trust... Ron being you. (laughs) I would never. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) But if it does happen, I look at what do I know about Ron as a person and what do I believe about Ron as a person? And in that example, what was Ron's Mm. intent and was his intent to breach my trust or was his intent to hurt or was his intent ill
1: well, and Kim, it sounds like you, you also don't just take that one item, but you say, what is, what is this person's overall intent been? You know, is there consistency, mm-hmm. right?
2: Absolutely. The, the best way I find to predict future behavior is to look at past patterns. And so that is a big factoring piece into how I look at it. And I don't, I don't believe that uh, everyone, I don't believe that people are perfect. We're human. We make mistakes. Uh, we have flaws. And so what I look at Ron and to circle this back to an earlier conversation that we had is what is Ron's behavior over time? What is Ron's intent over time? Because I'm not going to hold Ron to a standard where he has to be perfect every day.
1: I love that. I think that's, I think that's, that, that makes perfect sense. Um, I, I really think that, that you can connect with that. That, that totally makes sense. Go to the other side, Kim. What if you've broken trust and, and you don't know, you can story tell all you want about what they believe mm. your intent is or, ha- you know, mm. you don't know the answer to that. How do you fix that?
2: I, I think back to certain examples where I've broken someone's trust and the overriding emotion that I would say from the other person is hurt past the anger, past the disappointment, the the emotion that seems most impactful for me is the hurt. And in those situations, what I've done is I've met up face to face with that person and I just said, I'm sorry. Uh, I understand that I've hurt you and I'm so sorry and it won't happen again. I have found that uh, how we communicate is very, very important during these times how we communicate in general is very important but especially when i've breached trust it's important that i'm Mm -hmm. very focused and clear and concise in my messaging Mm -hmm. and to make sure that i don't leave any gaps in my messaging because if i communicate with gaps run other people will fill in those gaps for me and they will fill it in incorrectly you
1: know it's interesting i heard because you're talking about communicate and filling in gaps. And interesting, I was on a webinar and I can't remember the speaker. I think it was one of, um, one of the ones that Vern Harnish had put on. And there was a, there was a guy speaking about trust. And he said that for most instances, if you've broken trust, that the apology won't cut it. He says, look, Mm. you know, it's the first step to say, Hey Kim, I'm sorry. I dropped the ball. I did whatever I am. I'm so sorry. I've done this. He said, but to gain, that, you know, back, you're back to ground zero, but to gain trust, mm. what he said is you have to make a new commitment and come good on that commitment to build something back, right? And I love Absolutely. that.
2: Yeah, I, I believe that statement. I, uh, I like to visualize it this way. Imagine you have a beautiful glass jar that's sitting on your countertop.
1: I have one. It has wine in it right now. Continue.
2: I was actually hoping you'd say something like cookies, but wine (laughs) wine will work. (laughs) That's what we
1: drink drink wine in in Canada, but continue. Thank you.
2: (laughs) You have a glass jar on your kitchen counter and it's filled with, it's just, let's just imagine an empty glass jar. And as you build up trust with someone, you're popping in a coin every single time, a penny or a dollar or just let's just say a coin, uh, for universal appeal, you're popping a coin. And trust, if you look at that, uh, that metaphor, trust is something which you build up over time. And it, it's not a switch that you flip and suddenly someone trusts you. It's something right, which you right. have to build up over time. Now, very easily, uh, you can, through carelessness, walk by that jar and accidentally knock it over and then the trust is gone. Mm. And so to rebuild it, you have to do it the same way you did it the first time coin by one coin. coin at a time.
1: Coin coin by I love coin. that. See only like, I think the Buddha would say that. What are you? <laughs> that is great. I love that. I love it. I love it. Um, Kim, I want to switch to coaching for a sec. Cause I know coaching is near and dear to you. I believe that you have a culture of coaching um, and I want to talk about that. I want to talk about coaching process and how do you build that out in an organization that that's, um, let's, let's jump into that. So tell me about your coaching process when you see, um, someone and maybe there's a blind spot that they can't see. There's a challenge that you, uh, have observed, whether it's in their performance or challenge with a coworker, how do you deal with that?
2: Mm-hmm. Let's take a step back, Ron, and let's talk about uh, the importance of coaching first to really anchor our conversation here.
1: Sure, great.
2: And I think as a leader, our job is to expand people. So the mm-hmm. question I ask is, when we leave a room, do we leave it making people feel expanded, better than, smarter, more capable, more confident, happier, right. Right. Ch- more challenged? That's our number one job as a leader. And this is an interesting idea to sit on because when we started our businesses, we were the person that had to make things happen. And we were the people that uh, had to make the fast decisions and to get the job done and to come up with the answers and come up with the answers at a rapid cadence. As our businesses grew, uh, we had to learn or I had to learn to trust the people that I had placed around me to carry on those tasks. And there were times when I would look at the the output and I would think, oh, I would have done it a different way or, or I could have done a better job or you forgot to cross that T and you forgot to dot that I and I would have approached that client differently or you need to adjust your strategy because I know where this is going to end up. And it took me a long time to really flip my mode of operation into that of a coach. And for me, coaching is learning how to get the best out of people, uh, learning how to recognize the brilliance in others. There's a certain beauty I find in recognizing the brilliance in others, and then learning how to expand people.
1: You know, it's, it's interesting. I love how, you, how you've kind of packaged that up and labeled coaching. And, and it, it, you know, look, as I've been writing this book, one of the chapters in scaling culture is coaching. And, and it, this is really odd. It hit me with like a ton of, ton of bricks. I, in the past, Kim, I don't know if I really took a deep dive into coaching because what I know today after, as I've been, you know, writing out this chapter and exploring coaching, I don't, I don't think I've done a good job of coaching, even though previously I thought I did, you know, it's built into our culture, at least the language, but my process, even though I agree with your statements, my process in coaching had been, hey, Kim, you know, I'd like to have a, a discussion with you if, if I'm going to coach you on something, I've noticed something. I essentially sit you down and I, I, I would uh, have a conversation to identify, to make sure that you know, I've identified something I've seen, seeing if we agree to that. And then I've essentially just moved into motivating you to solve that problem motivating mm-hmm. you and pointing out that you can get there. And, and in some cases I do that, uh, different tactics. A lot of time I use what we do in form, you know, through experience here, I've kind of went mm. to gestalt as a coach, but knowing what I know now, I don't, I don't think that's coaching. I didn't really dive deeply into the right questions. I, I, mm. I really move so fast to, to let me motivate you because I know you can do this. And in some cases that works, by the way, but it's not co- <laughs> not coaching. You right. know, coaching is really like back to almost what you talked about in the relationship side is asking these deep questions that pull someone there on their own. That that's what I'm seeing this as today, and I it, that was a huge aha moment for me.
2: Mm. Before I answer that, Ron, I want you to think about a time when you felt like someone coached you to be a better person or a better, to make better decisions or to be better or to do better or expect better from yourself. Can you think of a moment when you had someone who expanded you and made you greater? Yeah. Okay.
1: think of a late, uh, the latest example. It's probably my wife, you know, in a conversation okay. we had related to COVID. Um, okay. And so, so interesting. We were debating. There's been so much debates about COVID, and and I don't know if you want me to go into details or just just that conversation. What? How do you want me to answer that?
2: Well, think about that picture in your mind, and sure, sure. And distill what was it about that moment that made that person a great coach?
1: You know, in this moment, it was just about changing my perspective my perspective, I anchored on something and they made, they asked a question that completely changed my perspective. Mm. Um, and it was it, look, I'll be honest. It was COVID related. It was about me getting really itchy and saying, I think we should move quicker to open things up. And, and my wife said, you know, you should be careful about that. Be careful about that statement. So that was, that was her confronting me. That was important. Mm. That was the blind mm. spot. And then she said, you know, how do you feel that someone who just had their grandparent die or, or a loved one die would take that statement? And right then, right there, I said, I'm not going to say that anymore. She's absolutely right. And so Mm -hmm. it was confrontation in a blind spot that I hadn't seen, but it was a question that got me there. And that's what I miss that in coaching. I don't think I ask great questions. I just go to motivate and come on, you can do this, you know? Mm I love that
2: question component it's 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 the key actually and if i look at how i coach uh, not only my teammates but my my family my friends mm-hmm. my rule is that i never have an answer all i ask are good questions
1: kim stop there i want you to repeat that that was beautiful you repeat that or i'm gonna i'm gonna, I'm gonna <laughs>
2: The power in coaching comes from not having the answer. The power in coaching comes from asking the right questions.
1: That is so beautifully said. And I think that, that if, if someone had said that to me five years ago, 10 years ago, that would have changed a lot of my coaching um, my process. Thank you.
2: <laughs> You're welcome.
1: Seriously, I find awesome.
2: that with coaching, people, have the answers themselves already. They don't right, need right. me to tell them what the answers are. What they need from me as a coach is to create the time and the space and the environment for them to have the courage to express what the solution is.
1: And let me dig at courage because, you know, as I've been digging deep into this topic and I, you know, as people go down that path, obviously, when you're talking about courage, it sounds like you're saying, okay, I've asked you a question now, Kim, and you've gotten really uncomfortable. And I have to have the courage to power through and and let you sit with that. That, mm-hmm. that takes courage from the coach, right? To let someone sit with anxiety, some fear, um, let their, you know... Uh, their 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 uh, body language is going to change. Their their temperature is going to go up. You know, you really have to have the courage to let someone go through with that, and to get themselves, you know, to to, to power through to get there on their own. Would you agree?
2: Absolutely, one hundred percent.
1: Yeah, um, and so so I, look, that summarized things. What you said is, it's not to have the answer; it's to ask the right question, and then keep going what how do you how do you i want to take this right through to accountability so so you're leading down the path it's just you know are you following this three why exercise what do you have any strategies is it just natural ability what, what are you doing as you as you go deep into something
2: as i go deep into something, is the question is the question more focused on accountability or is it about going deeper
1: now, let's start with getting someone to, so, so similar to what my wife did with me, to get someone to change their perspective, uh, to get them to realize their ability to push them through. Is there a process you follow or not? You're just kind of, you know, um, it's like a treasure hunt.
2: Oh, got it. I, I think this comes to a question of style. For me, I like to place the expectation on people that, you get out what you put in. And so when I go into a coaching session with, whether it be an employee or a family member or a friend or anyone, um, I say to them, you have an hour of my time.
1: You you start up front and say you have an hour. So you've kind of, you've put that parameter. This is going to be an hour.
2: Yes. I say, you have an hour of my time. I change the wording depending on who's on the other side. Of course, if it's a family member or a friend, I usually give right. them as much time as they need. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you have an hour of, the, of my time. This is your time and the value that you get from this time is completely up to you. How would you like this meeting to go? How would you like our conversation to go? And then I let that person chair the meeting and all I do is sit back and just ask questions
1: so so let me go back to the other side kim uh especially in the in the corporate world because that works if someone comes to see you but if you've noticed a blind spot you've noticed a behavior that's affecting other people how do you approach it then
2: for me that comes down to values i find that's uh, one of the personal values I have for myself is this desire to continuously learn and to push ourselves and to challenge ourselves. And I find that if I've done the right job in surrounding myself with people who share the same values, then that example that you talk about doesn't occur too often. Right. Uh, if it does occur, then that usually signals to me that there has been a misalignment in values. And there's been something wrong with the recruitment process or mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. making sure that the values are alive in the organization.
1: Got it. Yeah. But, but what if it's performance? So what if okay. you want to coach someone on performance and you they, they maybe don't see it, but you do?
2: Mm. Performance. Okay. Can you give me an example to make this a bit more real for me?
1: Yes, sir. So let me set this up. Your accountant Mm -hmm. is supposed to reconcile your books and have clear statements for you after a month, then within seven days, you're not getting your statements uh, at the seven day mark. It's taking, you know, until the end of the month to get the statements. And so it's critical for you because that information you want early so you can make decisions um, and, and it's been month over month and no big change and they're not discussing it. They haven't come to see you to say, I need help with this. Mm. How do you approach that conversation?
2: That's uh, accountability. Gosh, I think we could talk all day about accountabilities here. Uh, this is what I do run. Uh, I flag with, uh, the other person. Let's use the accountant as an example. Yeah. I flag with the accountant say, hi, Mr. Accountant or Mrs. Accountant. Uh, you promised to deliver these reports by X date. It is now 14 days past X date and I haven't received those reports yet. I just want to have a quick conversation to understand what's uh, where you're stuck. And my expectation is that these reports will be delivered within, let's put a time frame to it, seven days from this email or this conversation. Um, and if it's not, then we need to have another discussion, and you're not going to like that discussion.
1: So this is very interesting. So that that from from your standpoint is not coaching. It's just really I'm just going to accountability right away. Where this isn't a coaching session.
2: Yeah, I, I would have to say. So the coaching part uh, part I really comes down to hey, you've missed this deadline, and talk to me. Where are you stuck, and how can we work through this together? Right, um, right, Got but it. also making sure that there is also a defined end date to that coaching as well. Mm -hmm. And at that point, I think people are just taking the mickey. (laughs) So it's important to set clear boundaries there.
1: So, so, so you, so, so fine. People are, are open and coming saying, Hey, I need your time. How how do you, how do you scale the coaching aspect in an, in, in, Mm -hmm. in, 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 in a corporate environment? How do you, the things you're talking about, do you, is that part of your onboarding? How are you teaching people how to do that? How do you scale that process that you talked about?
2: First, it's this idea that Vern talked about and it's this idea that routine sets you free. And I really do believe that. I believe that when you have these routines and cadences set in motion and diarizing in the calendar, then that frees you up to be more human, to be a great better coach, to, mm-hmm. to focus your energies on the things that matter. And for me, coaching to make sure that it's embedded inside an organization, it's important to have that cadence of a monthly meeting uh, established in in everyone's diaries, so that when they're expecting that that meeting will come up, and so that they can spend that time thinking about what do I want to be coached on, or what's the, Mm. where am I stuck at the moment, or where do I see my life going, and what tools and resources are available to help me get there.
1: Right, Um, right.
2: It's critically important to 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 make sure that the coaching value, if you will, or the coaching cadence is embedded in the organization to make sure it's alive.
1: Yeah. It's interesting, you know, because there seems to be multiple ways to go at this. You know, I was talking to, uh, we've got an advisory board and Holly Delaney from Zappos on that board. And I was talking to her about this, about the cadence. Cause I had set up cadence with those who report to me and I asked her, what does Zappos do? And she said, you know, Ron, we do this a little differently. Everyone's different and we don't feel that everyone wants to be coached the same. And so what we do at Zappos is when someone comes on board with the company, we, we essentially ask them, what, what cadence would you like? Do you want to be coached weekly? Do you want to start off once a month? You know, how, how do you want to be coached? And, and she said that they were shocked by, or I don't know if they were shocked, but, the, the 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 response was very unique based on individuals. Some people said, "I really would like to be coached weekly. That's important to me." Others said monthly. Some might have said quarterly. Others said, "Look, I don't really. If you have something, bring it to me. If I have something, I'll bring it to you. And I just want to know I'm safe to do that." And I thought that was very interesting. I, that changed my perspective on a regular cadence. Mm,
2: I love that. I I actually really like that. I haven't considered um, offering that structure or that framework uh, to the team before i why i like that is it's almost like you're you're creating the expectation that there will be coaching but then you're meeting people at where they're most comfortable right i i'd like to uh more on the side of challenging people and pushing people right right because i find that the coaching aspect is confronting for most people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's you're having uncomfortable conversations you're really examining your worldview and and you're really questioning your perspective before you talked about uh, shifting your perspective on Mm -hmm. uh, Mm COVID-19 and your activities. And I find that most people like to steer away from the uncomfortable.
1: Right. Right. Uh,
2: Mm. And my job as a coach is not only to create that safe space for people, to give them permission to come to their own answers and conclusions, but to also push people a little bit to examine the important questions in life.
1: Yeah, I love that. Kim, uh, I just want to say that was a wonderful conversation. I, uh, I really enjoyed that. And I'm so we're so blessed and the entire culture Scaling Culture community is blessed to have you on and hear your own insights. So thank you so much. And thanks for getting up before your get up time in Australia to join us today in this lovely day
0: for this.
2: Thank you so much, Ron. And this was a pleasure. I always uh, always love these conversations and you're a wonderful host. Thank you so much.
0: For information on how to connect with Kim, please see the show description. Also, be sure to connect with us in the Scaling Culture community on LinkedIn to let us know who you'd like to see as a guest in the future. We'll be back next week with another incredible guest. Thanks.